Turn, if you would, to your Bibles, in your Bibles, excuse me, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn to your Bibles. That's a definite truth. You should do that. Turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And so if you were with us last week, then you will recall that I did go into the beginning of chapter 3, and we were talking about how the natural man and the spiritual man respond to the things of God. We were talking about worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom and how they're not the same thing. And then we ended up in chapter 3 with Paul talking about how he had to speak to the Corinthians in a certain way. He had to address them in a certain way because they were not ready for what he called solid food. That he had to address them as people of the flesh because that's how they were acting. That's how they were conducting themselves. And we finished by talking about how the hallmark of spiritual maturity is obedience to God's word. And that that was how Paul made the, uh, the, the, the realization that the Corinthians were not spiritually mature was because they were not being obedient to the word of God. And we're going to see as we continue on with this letter just how true that is. And uh, I, I, was, I, I was doing some preparation for my sermon, and I was listening to another sermon that someone had preached about it, out of 1 Corinthians, and they were talking about how, to some people, 1 Corinthians seems to be structured very strangely, because you get into places like chapter 5, and you see something like there's a man having a sexual affair with his father's wife, and whether that is his actual birth mother or his stepmother is never really made clear, but it's, it seems to us like, well, that's a really big deal. Why would Paul wait five chapters to get there while spending the first four chapters talking about divisions in the church? That doesn't seem right. It seems like that would be less important. But one of the things that we've looked at repeatedly through our study so far is that this, the, the way that the church conducts herself and the church is a herd, just FYI, it's the bride of Christ, in case you were unaware. The way the church conducts herself is a reflection of God's glory. And the thing that God cares the absolute most about is his glory. Now, to us, that sounds a little bit, um, a little bit conceited, Right? And I've had this conversation with youth before when we, have talk, when we talk about something like this. And I point out to them, why is it that we dislike people who are conceited or full of themselves? It's because we can see their flaws, right? The people who think so highly of themselves, it's not very difficult for us to go, yeah, well, you know, you might have a really great singing voice, but, or you might be very athletically talented, but, or you might be very intelligent, but with God, there are no buts. God is the absolute perfection in all things. And so God, caring about his glory, is caring about himself being represented rightly within creation. And so if God did not care about his glory, 
Here's what God would be saying. God would be saying, well, I'm not that important. I'm not that significant. And that, that can't possibly be because God is that important. God is that significant. And so that is why he cares so much about his glory. And that's why he cares so much about how the church conducts herself and how the church is united or divided in Christ. And so this week, Paul is going to seek to correct the thinking of the Corinthians by helping them to understand what the role of the church and what the role of the leaders of the church, what those roles really are. That's what Paul is going to really drive at in our passage tonight. So let's look together at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 5, and we're going to read through verse 17. What then is Apollos? Now I'm going to pause there for a second. So in verse 4, Paul says that he, he gives an evidence of their fleshness or their, their sinfulness or their worldly thinking by talking about how he reminded them of something he said in chapter 1, where the people in the Corinthian church were saying, well, I follow Paul, well, I follow Apollos, well, I follow Cephas. They're, they're lining up behind these men. And so he, he kind of gives a call back to that in verse 4, and he says, when you say, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So then we get to verse 5, and he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, verse 10, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be, it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward." If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know, verse 16, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. All right, so... Going back up to verse 5. So on the heels of Paul referencing the fleshness of the Corinthians in their devotion to certain men, he goes even further in explaining why this shouldn't happen. So he opens up by saying, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? That's not an improper translation. Sometimes when you translate from one language to another, I don't know if you've ever used Google Translate but it can be kind of humorous if you take something that you write in English and translate it, say, into Spanish, and then translate it back. It's kind of a weird-looking thing. That's not what happened here. This is intentional. Paul is intentionally saying, 
What then is Apollos? What is Paul? And so part of this is that Paul is knocking himself and Apollos kind of down a peg. Like not even who, but what are they? But it's also because Paul wants them, wants the Corinthians to understand that it's not about who Paul and Apollos are as much as it's about the office or the role that God has assigned to them. And what is that role? These men are simply servants of God doing what God has told them to do. That's all that they are. They're servants. The giftedness that they have, and they did have giftedness. Paul is obviously incredibly intelligent. He is incredibly intelligent. And if he wasn't so smart, we wouldn't have so many very well-respected, very intelligent men who argue back and forth about what Paul is trying to communicate in his letters. Even Peter says that he's read Paul's stuff and it's hard to understand because Paul is deep. Paul has giftedness. Apollos apparently was a very gifted speaker. He apparently was very well-spoken, very charismatic in his presentation, and so he had giftedness. But the giftedness is not something that they, through their own hard work, just happened to acquire on their own. They didn't go out searching for it and just stumble across it. It's giftedness that was given to them by God. And so when the Corinthians align themselves with these servants according to their gifts, they're pursuing worldly wisdom. Because what they should have done is say, praise God for giving these men these gifts and then embedded themselves further into Christ. But instead they said, well, I am going to align myself with this particular servant. It would be like, if someone opened a restaurant, a very, a very good chef opened a restaurant and he hired some staff and he taught the staff how to make these certain dishes. And you go in there and you say, oh, well, I follow this guy or I follow this guy, ignoring the fact that they are simply making dishes that were conceived by this master chef. That's kind of the same concept. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's something to help us wrap our minds around it in that the Corinthians were attaching themselves to these servants when they should have been attaching themselves to the master. And not only that, but these servants, they're not even the ones who are responsible for the growth. Paul says that very plainly. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So it had nothing to do with Paul's abilities. It had nothing to do with Apollos' abilities. It only had to do with God granting spiritual growth. And so because of that, we should remember that the real glory goes to God. And I've talked about this before. I'm sure Pastor Mitch has talked about this before. If I preach a sermon or Pastor Mitch preaches a sermon and it really impacts your heart and the Holy Spirit really grabs hold of you, that's awesome. But I didn't do that. I didn't do that because I'm not trying to stand up here and speak my words to you. All I'm trying to do is show you what God's word has to say. I'm just trying to get out of God's way. I don't get any glory or any credit 
for what God does in your hearts. Pastor Mitch gets no glory, no credit for what God does in your hearts. And the last thing that either one of us want is for you to place us on that pedestal of, well, I need their preaching, their teaching to really grow. Because you don't. You don't need me. You don't need him. You need Christ. That's, what, that's who you need. You don't need us. We are merely servants. And if we die or we move or this building burns down and we get chased out of town, there are other men who will come, who will faithfully teach what God's word says. And by God's grace, he will give growth. And that's what Paul is trying to communicate to the Corinthians. Now, that's not to say that we get nothing out of it because Paul talks about receiving wages, right? He says, he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor. We're going to get more into that as we continue on with our passage, but I want to touch on it really quickly. We do not labor for God in exchange for nothing. Now, this is not a statement about a pay increase or anything like that. Please don't hear me saying that. That's not what this is about. This is not about we deserve a paycheck for what we're doing because Paul is not talking about that. Paul is talking about a reward from God for doing the work that God has called us to do. And so we're not simply doing it because we enjoy it, although we do. We're not doing it because it's what God has called us to, although we do, because here's the truth. If you have a job and your job says, okay, well, you can work, but we're not going to pay you. You would have to either be crazy or a Hollywood intern to think that's a good deal. That's just how it works. We have, you, you have families to provide for, you have bills to pay. You can't go to work just for the fun of it. And so we work for God because God has called us to it, but we also know that there is a promise of reward for our labor. And that reward ultimately is Christ. We get Christ. And so we get, pause for a second, God does not call us to work, and that goes for not just Pastor Mitch and I, but any of us. God does not call us to work as uncompensated slaves, but rather, as Paul says in verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. Now notice that phrasing, God's fellow workers. That means God is working alongside us. God is not sitting in a boardroom somewhere, acting as CEO, dictating do this, do that, while I do nothing. God is working alongside. Notice how Paul says, I planted, Apollos waters, God gives the growth. God is working alongside us as we work for him. So the first thing that we looked at was that, that, that the pastors and leaders of the church are servants of God. Let's look now at the work of man. So Paul in verse 9, he draws a pretty strong distinction between the workers and the church, right? He says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Does a field do work? No. Does a building build itself? No. So it's important here to recognize that when we think of the church by and large, 
The church is something that is being acted upon by God. That does not mean that the church and the people in it do not work, but by and large, you are being acted upon by God. Pastor Mitch and I, called by God to preach and teach God's word to you, you are called to hear it and apply it, but it is God who is working in you to be able to do that because you are incapable of doing that on your own, under your own power. And so you are being acted upon. Now, there's a fine line that I want to walk here because it's not necessarily black and white. Like we're the workers, you're the church, we're the laborers, you're the field, we're the builders, you're the building. It's not black and white like that, okay? Essentially, when you are working to build up the church, you are God's fellow worker. Okay, so you're teaching a Sunday school class, you're working in the nursery, you're serving as a deacon, you're changing a light bulb, you're cleaning a dish in the kitchen, you're taking out the garbage, whatever it is, you are God's fellow worker. When you are working to build up the church, you are God's fellow worker. However, when you, seek, when you cease to care about the building up of the church as a whole, and you are only concerned with yourself, you have then transitioned from being God's fellow worker to being a field or a building because you need to be worked upon for your attitude and your heart to change. Does that make sense? I've told the story before about the lady in, in a previous church of mine that her, her constant refrain was, I just need to be fed. I just need to be fed. I just need to be fed. That is not God's fellow worker. Okay? That's not God's fellow worker. Now, in keeping with the building analogy, so he switches from the field analogy to the building analogy, and in keeping with that analogy, he talks about himself as laying a foundation. So verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder. The word skilled there could also be translated as wise. It's the same word that he uses earlier in chapters 1 and 2 when he talks about wisdom. So Paul is saying, that's worldly wisdom, but like a wise master builder. So we're talking about someone who has a high level of knowledge, a high level of skill. He laid a foundation. He laid a foundation. Now, what is the foundation that Paul laid? Remember, we talked about how Paul came to Corinth. He spent 18 months there with Priscilla and Aquila, and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we talked about how Paul told the Corinthians that he decided to know nothing among them except for Christ and him crucified. So the foundation that Paul laid is the gospel. And so when Paul says that it is according to the grace of God given to me, what he is trying to communicate there is that because God has given the gospel to Paul, Paul then has the ability to give the gospel to others. He can lay that as a foundation because God has given that to him. Does that make sense? Yes? No? Okay, good. Y'all being at the tables is throwing me off a little bit. All right? And so once that foundation is laid, once that foundation is laid, someone builds 
Someone builds. Now, notice here that Paul has stopped bringing Apollos' name into it. And I think that that's on purpose. Because I don't think from reading 1 Corinthians that Paul and Apollos were at odds with each other. And I don't think Paul wants to give the Corinthians the wrong idea about his relationship with Apollos. I think he wants to just kind of separate that out altogether and just say, okay, so the foundation is laid and now someone is building upon it. It doesn't matter who that someone is, but someone comes in. And that's the nature of what Paul's ministry was, right? Paul would go and he would preach the gospel and people would come to faith in Christ and Paul would spend some time there. Six months, a year, 18 months, whatever it is, he would spend some time there, but his intention was never to stay forever. That was not the ministry that God had called him to. He goes in, he lays the foundation and lets someone else build. And so he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, There's a neighborhood not far from where I grew up, and this neighborhood was famous because all of their houses were built on swampland that was not fully drained properly. My neighborhood I grew up in was built on swampland that was drained properly. And so our houses in our neighborhood did not have issues. But the houses in the other, the other neighborhood, the foundations were cracked and broken. And it was so bad that you could drive down the streets and see cracks in the walls of the exteriors of the houses. And these people, there was nothing they could do unless they literally tore their entire houses down, ripped out the entire foundation, and started over. Because even if they tore the house down... You can't build a good foundation on top of a bad foundation. You can't make a double foundation. And so that's, when I think about the, the, the analogy of the foundation that Paul talks about, I think about the good foundation that was built where I grew up versus the bad foundation that was built there. And so Paul builds these good foundations, and then he says, take care how you build upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 12, Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. Now, what Paul is trying to get to here is that he wants us to understand that the materials that we build with matter. Anyone who has ever heard the story of the three little pigs knows this to be true, right? The materials that you build with matter. Now, I don't want you to read too much into the materials that he uses. I've heard some people try to be like, well, you know, the the gold means this and the silver means that and the precious. I don't think that Paul's trying to drive at some kind of representation there for each individual thing. I think he's just wanting you to understand if you build with high quality materials, your house is going to keep standing. But if you build a house out of hay and straw, your house probably isn't going to last very long, right? 
And we're going to see as we continue on with the passage that I do think Paul is trying to draw our thoughts to something else there, but I don't think he's trying to individually make us recognize that with those independent pieces, okay? And so we're called to build this building with things that last. So the building being the church, we're called to build up the church with things that last. Otherwise, this building, this church will not survive. So when a church is built on things like programs and pleasures and felt needs, these things pass away. And listen, it might take decades, but they're still going to pass away. But when a church is built on the word and the deep things of God, those things are lasting. Those things last. Church, you have a senior pastor whose ministry is based on the word of God as its foundation. You have an associate pastor whose ministry is based on the word of God as its foundation. And I'm not saying that to toot our own horns. I'm saying that to you because I want you to know that our hearts are to build this church with materials that are lasting. Because I can go to the grocery store and buy you a bunch of groceries and that's great and your belly will be full. But if you don't know Christ... A full belly doesn't get you into heaven. And so our heart as leaders should always be to build with the things that are lasting, the, the deep things of God, the word of God. So when we think about what Paul is communicating to the Corinthians, I want to talk a little bit about just pastors and churches for a second. We're tempted to look at pastors or churches that are very large, that have large followings, as being particularly effective. But who does Paul say is giving the growth? God. God gives the growth. And that's not simply talking about numerical growth. Numerical growth is easy. I'm just being honest with you. Numerical growth, in a manner of speaking, is very easy. You give the people what they want, and they'll show up. When Jesus was feeding people miraculously... The crowds got really, really, really big. When Jesus said, if you want eternal life, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, everybody went home. We can grow big crowds. And so it's really tempting to look at a big church or a pastor with a large following as being particularly effective, but numerical growth is not an indicator of spiritual growth. And either way, it's God who gives the growth. And as pastors, I'll be honest with you, sometimes we are tempted to look at our churches and feel like we are doing something wrong if there's not evidence of growth. It's hard. It's hard to not spend a lot of time really looking inward and saying, am I doing something wrong? Is there something I could be doing differently? But both of those ways are not the right way to look at this. The real things that matter are whether the foundation is Christ, whether the gospel is planted and watered, and whether we're building with lasting materials. So here's the truth. Some large churches are doing these things, and some aren't. 
Some small churches are doing these things and some aren't. But the main thing is that we aren't basing the building on ourselves, but rather on God who is the one that is giving the growth. So know, church, that as we work together to build up God's church, the focus should not be on, well, what's going to get people in the door? The focus should be on, what are the lasting materials that we build with? What are the lasting materials that we build with? Paul then tells us that each one's work will be manifest or shown for the day with a capital D will disclose it. The day with a capital D being the day of judgment. The day of judgment. And so it says that fire will test the work. It says it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If you build a house out of straw and then you have a fire, what happens to your house? It burns up real fast. If you build your house out of gold and there's a fire, what happens? But you got to have a real hot fire for that, right? The kind of fire that burns up straw isn't going to melt gold. And so, and so you have to think about it in that terminology because that's what Paul is trying to get us to look at. And so he says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So church, as we seek to serve God by building up the church, the materials that we use... The things that we are doing to build up the church will be shown in the day of judgment. Now, this day of judgment does not frighten us as believers because we will be saved no matter what. That's what Paul is saying here. Your work will be shown through fire. And if your work survives, you receive a reward. And if it doesn't, you get no reward but you're still saved because justification is by grace through faith alone, not by works. So don't hear me saying like, this is of eternal consequence and if you don't build with the right materials then you're gonna go to hell. That's not what I'm saying. But it matters. It matters in regards to our eternal reward that we then give right back to Jesus anyway because we don't deserve it because God gives the growth but it also matters for the eternity of the other people who come here. It matters because the way that we conduct things within the church is what people hear, is what people perceive. And so we have to be faithful in teaching the word of God. And so Paul in verses 16 and 17 What's driving him in this is that the church is God's temple. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So the materials that Paul lists as the good materials, the gold, the silver, the precious stones, that is what the temple and the tabernacle were constructed out of. 
And so I think Paul, in using the temple analogy here, was trying to kind of draw them to see that, in that the church is now the manifestation of the temple of God. Now, why is that significant? Because the temple or the tabernacle was seen as the dwelling place of God or where God lives in the midst of his people. So if you go back and look at the Old Testament, you'll see things like when they were camped in the wilderness, how they were positioned was that God was in the middle. Or when they marched through the wilderness, how they were positioned was that God was in the middle because he was in the midst of his people. He was not standing far off, unattainable, unreachable. He was with them. And so in Paul making this connection, the church and the temple, it's his way of saying God is dwelling among his people. And this is on a very literal sense because who is dwelling within you? The Holy Spirit of God. God himself is not just dwelling among his people, but he is dwelling amongst his people as individual people. And so the church being the gathering together of the people of God who have the spirit of God dwelling in them is a constant reminder of what Christ has done, right? Coming into the world, putting on human flesh, coming into the world, living life as a man, suffering and dying as a man to bring forgiveness and life to his people. And so Paul says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. That right there is one of the strongest statements against false teachers you will find in scripture. Because Paul is literally saying, if you mess with God's church, God is going to destroy you. If you bring false doctrine into the church of God, God will destroy you. And so as we work to build together, church, be very mindful of what you teach. Be very cautious of what you say. Because we are dealing with things of eternal significance. This is not light. This is heavy. This is weighty stuff. And he says, the reason this happens is because God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So these things matter because God is holy. God is perfect. God is set apart. And by extension, God's temple is holy. God's church should be holy. And so we, as believers, as a church, must endeavor to align ourselves only with Christ. And so we must preach only the gospel. And so we must uphold only the truth. And we must live only by the scriptures. This is not the place that we should come for feel-good pep talks. Although sometimes God's word is encouraging to us. Sometimes God's word almost is like getting a pep talk. But that's not the reason why we should come. We should come 
Because this is the gathering together of God's people. This is where we hear the word of God proclaimed. This is where God moves in the midst of his temple. And so we, collectively, as a church, have to understand that it matters how the leaders of the church lead her. Church, it is your responsibility given to you by God to hold your pastors accountable for how we lead you, for how we lead God's church. It's your responsibility. Hold us accountable. And it matters how the church conducts herself. It is our responsibility as your pastors to hold the church accountable for how the church conducts herself. And we also have to remember in all things, whenever we are tempted to sway from these things, to turn to the right or to the left for the sake of growth, that only God, we have to remember that only God gives growth. So tonight, as we leave, I want you to think about these things. Think about how you can hold your pastors to the standard of Scripture. Think about how you can hold each other to the standard of Scripture. And this last one is really important because as we all know, you know, it's, it's the elephant in the room. Our church is declining in number. We're struggling financially. Do we trust God? Do we trust God that where we are is where God wants us? Do we trust God that he is the one who will grow us? Do we trust God that we are in his hands and he will use us as he sees fit? Do we trust God? Because it's tempting to, in worldly wisdom, start trying a bunch of stuff. Let's just throw all those noodles against the wall, see which one sticks. But what does God call us to do? To build using long-lasting, high-quality materials. And we do that together as God's fellow workers so that on the day of judgment, what God has built with us stands the test of fire. Let's together, church, commit ourselves to living and conducting ourselves as a church according to the word of God, first and only. Let's pray. Father, we are blessed. We are blessed to have this church, this body of believers who so generously and kindly love one another and serve one another. Father, I pray that you would continue to give us that spirit. That we would not have a spirit of sorrow or fear, but that we would be joyful, that we would be trusting in you because you will take care of us always. So, Father, as we leave here tonight, help us, Lord, to once again commit ourselves to living according to the Scriptures because Christ is worthy. And we, as we studied in Ephesians this morning in Sunday school, should be striving to live in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have called us.
Father, please bless us as we go from here. Help us to be a light in the darkness around us. In Christ's name, amen.